I'm Tegan. And I'm Eric. This is the Professional Weaver Podcast, where each week we have discussions with weavers and the supply chain that supports us with hopes to build depth, transparency, and connection within the hand-weaving community. This week's episode was sponsored by Comfort Cloth Weaving, a company specializing in heirloom-quality handwoven products for the home, as well as yardage for the fashion and accessories industries and value-added products for farmers and wool growers. Find out more at comfortclothweaving.com. This week, we have one quick announcement. We wanted to give a shout-out to our first patron of the podcast. Thank you to Susan for the support. If you would like to support the podcast, you can go to proweaverpod.com slash support to make a one-time or monthly support contribution. Have questions about weaving? Send them to hello at proweaverpod.com, and we will have many episodes dedicated to answering those questions with our podcast guests. This week, we are talking to Lindsay Wiseman of Central Oregon Textiles from Bend, Oregon. Lindsay's woven work showcases the artistry and bold colors of a designer and the meticulous balance and symmetry of an engineer, blending her careers together into cloth. She creates accessories for the home and fashion, such as towels, scarves, travel bags, eye masks, and jewelry cases, flexing her skills in both hand weaving and in sewing. I love how she explores colors and textures with different materials in her work, always exploring the options in which handwoven textiles can be applied in a functional way. We hope that you enjoy our conversation as we talk about creating a second career in weaving, traveling with the weaving obsessed, and social media and how it can be used to bolster the weaving community. We started talking to Lindsay today about her dual careers in engineering and weaving and how she balances the work. Yeah, so I'm actually an engineer. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, I work like Monday through Friday, 6.45 to about 4 or 5 o'clock. Okay. So this is whenever I can get to it. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's why I kind of I have a little bit of like imposter syndrome when it comes to feeling like I'm, I'm kind of like... A, semi-professional right like I have a business and I do shows and I have a website and blah 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 but but it's not like I mean I dream of and I really enjoyed we had furloughs like Mm -hmm. once a week for three months and so that was my time to kind of like act like I was a full-time weaver dyer right everything like that so I yeah I wouldn't say you're an imposter. You're doing everything that we do. Like, you just happen to have another full-time job on top of yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's crazy. It's awesome. It is. Yeah, it's, um, but I hear, like, oh, production fabric and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, I wish I could, like, crank it out. Like, I feel bad that my lead times are like, well, I can make that in, like, two months. If, right. You know? So it's just like, I do it, it's just on a very prolonged um, timeline. Right. And so, luckily people have been understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, like, I, I like doing the the ready to sell, like, you know, I design it, because that feels, it's all on my own timeline. Right. Of, 
when I make it, and there's no like back and forth because it feels like it. There's a lot more pressure. It takes a lot more time. It may take the same amount of time if I were to like design it and make it myself, but it feels like a lot more stressful when I have to. When I feel like, am I meeting their expectation? Right. Right. So, yeah, that's where uh, I kind of make things here and there. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Like, I like. I don't know. I've been. I've been feeling the stress of just like feeling ever having to do everything myself. It's like I'm yeah. just ready to unload it. But this whole yeah. the whole COVID nineteen <laughs> pandemic has kind of put a hold on bringing people in to unload it because I need to yeah. bring them in, show them how to like roll the hems that I like it, and like this mm-hmm. is how you place the logo or this is how you press it just right. Oh yeah, and it. It can be a challenge, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's all in the details, and I have not uh, braved yet to really like. I've trained other people, but the end product is their own. You know, it's like oh, right. here's how to set up a rigid how to loom. Now the final product is yours, right? As opposed to I am relying if the tension is off on the warp board, that will you know mess me up over here. <laughs> Right. Um, later on, or if something's miscounted, like especially on those earlier steps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's a someday I dream of. Do you do? That. Do you do a lot of the kit selling? Um, I don't do any, but I've I thought as people get into it, that would be interesting to do. So yeah. far, everything's just kind of by me for me. Okay. Um, so everything's done done by me, but um. Yeah, I just thought, like, you know, someone will message me in town and be like, hey, uh, I have a rigid huddle loom. I don't know how to use it. Um, okay. So I try to make it as, you know, hands-on as possible for them because it's such a tactile thing. Like, I've thought of offering online classes or recording, you know, how I set it up in a more detailed manner. Yeah. But there's so much about it that it's just, like, when you're feeling the tension, how do you convey to them what it should feel like? Right. Or sound like or, or anything like that. Right. So. And, like, there's only so much that you can translate over video and audio. Like, you really yes. have to have, like, somebody there to feel it exactly. in person. Yeah. Yeah, I even thought, like, well, the Zoom call, could, you know, we get, like, closer? Could I see what they're working on to give that feedback? But, yeah, I was hoping that's why I brought an additional two rigid huddle looms. It was kind of an excuse to experiment with more rigid huddle looms. But mm-hmm. I was hoping, okay, maybe we can have some in-person lessons. Right. Um, but I don't know when we will feel comfortable being within six feet. Right. <laughs> of each other, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, uh, I definitely envy your guys' loom collection. I would love to have. It's a little out of control. It's a little yeah. crazy. We have 31, 31 altogether. Wow. And it's all, they're all different. Like we have some rigid heddle looms. We have some tapestry mm-hmm. looms and ankle okay. looms. And yeah, then yeah. Um, all the way up to uh, the CompuDobby looms. But yeah. they're still... They keep multiplying. We had yeah. we had one person be like, "Oh, I just found this for you." Oh, okay. So, so yeah. Do you like go out and search for particular looms, or do you just kind of like peruse kind of local listings and, and whatnot? Or so what? 
what I tend to do now is I look for certain looms. I try to look for a certain age. So ABL oh. looms with the CompuDobby 1 seems to be the best age range because okay. they have the CompuDobby ones seem to have the less problems. Oh. So they work with the most software. They have the less problems with turning on and working long periods of time. They've worked for since the 80s. Okay. And the CompuDobby 2s seem to fry out really easily. In our experience. In our experience. Yes. So, um, and then for non CompuDobby looms, I always just look for ones that have been well used because mm. those are the ones that always have like the really good hacks on them. Yeah. Because those are the ones that have the good tricks and then those are, they end up making the best product. We have a Macomber 60 inch mm -hmm. that just has this beautiful ratchet and Paul system that just got taped up really nicely. That's just like beautiful to tension with. Like I can get even tension all the way across my warp. Isn't that funny? Like those little things when you talk to a fellow weaver, it's like you can totally empathize and be like, oh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. My ratcheting system is, is, is a little, I have to kind of work with it. It likes right. to all of a sudden when I try and ratchet, it'll just skip off of the, um, I forget what you call it, the one with the horn, the, and it'll just like skip off and all my tension will go away. Oh, and no. I kind of need to like do an assisted thing to like even get the tension to go off of it. The brake pedal won't do anything. Right. And God forbid I'm doing something like a, a linen carpet warp Oof. that like has no give to it. Right. That was a little bit of a beast. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I love talking looms and I wish I could like go over to more people's houses and like see them all and experience them because. There are not that many shops. We have one in Olive, Oregon, in Eugene, Eugene Textile Center. Right. And so they have they have secondhand looms and, and whatnot. But I just kind of, like, have only gone there with my husband just stays in the car. And then I go <laughs> and do my shopping spree. And then he's not surprised yet, always a little bit surprised as to how much I come out with. Right. Because I'm like, we're only here once every six months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. I stock up, but it's not enough time to really, like, experience all the different looms, so. Right. And yeah. and they all have different personalities to, like, really yes. sit down and experience because, I mean, even the looms that I have, they all want to do different things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, the McComers really want to be weft-faced rug or blanket okay. looms. Heavy. Like, they want to do the yeah. heavy work. Whereas the AVLs are much happier doing the lightweight, but marathon, mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to go the distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine you've been talking about like 50 yard work, and I'm just like, oh, that sounds so intimidating. It was intimidating the first time. It yeah. was like, oh no, I'm doing it. I'm finally doing it. And so you're really, really committing. I was really committing. It was really terrifying. I, I, I won't. I won't deny it. It was terrifying. <laughs> it was, I think, part of the terrifying part about it. I think there's two pieces that make it scary. One is that the investment in 
the yes. yarn you need to weave 50 yards of 60 inch wide fabric is high yeah. and even yeah. a few dollars a pound it can be you know several hundred yeah. dollars and that quickly rises into the thousands when you have somebody who wants like a nice raw silk or something and yeah. uh, the other part is you're like winding it on thinking oh my god i have to weave all this off you know <laughs> but yeah. then what you sort of especially in my case that takes 6 months right yeah yeah and but once you sort of do it and you know you can do it and then it becomes more exciting then it's then it okay. becomes more you get past the investment cuz you know you can do it and you know you won't mess it up and then you sort of are winding it on thinking oh i get to weave all of this off you know? nice yeah it does make that change somewhere so do you do all of your work on rigid heddle looms or do you also have a floor loom? Yeah, so I kind of uh, went like head first into a floor loom. Okay. And um, so the way I got into weaving was my husband's cousin's friend's ex-girlfriend left them a bunch of yarn at the house. So they literally had like a garbage bag full of, of yarn. Mm-hmm. And at first I figured, oh, this is yarn for crocheting, knitting, something like that. And then I realized they were huge cones of silk. Whoa. And so it's like, unless someone has like a knitting machine, this isn't for that. So then I just went on online and researched, you know, large cones of yarn that got me into weaving, that got me into looms. And then within like two hours, I was telling my husband I want to buy a floor loom. And he's like, how about you take a class first? So luckily here in Central Oregon, we have a really great guild, the Central Oregon Spinners and Weavers Guild. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lady up in Redmond who's like 15 minutes away, and she has nine looms in her house. And so within two days, we did two full sessions. um, And yeah, I learned everything from setting it up to washing it. And uh, so I made like a shadow weave table runner and then um, some like coasters. Wow. So that was... um, yeah, within, I think, like, a few weeks after that, you know, I went on Facebook and found a four shaft Leclerc loom. Oh, nice. And she came with me and, and checked it out. And she warned me. She's like, this is a good starter loom, but you shouldn't expect to do rags up on it. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. I'm just going to, you know, fiddle around. And probably within three months, I was like, maybe I can, you know, weave a rug on this. And, and I kind of found out the limitations of the loom yep. <laughs> when it comes to setting the tension or, or it was so lightweight that it would scoot across the room yes. as I would leave. <laughs> so it scoots and then I'd push it back and it'd scoot. Because I still, I know the trick of turning the loom around so you're kind of facing the, the back mm-hmm. uh, and then putting kind of spacer blocks so you don't, you know, punch holes in the wall. Yeah. But I still haven't, for whatever reason, committed to do that. So even uh, eventually I treated that four-shop loom for my um, industrial sewing machine behind me. That's been amazing. Um, and then I upgraded to an eight-shaft Gilmore. It's still only about 40, 42 inches wide, so it mm-hmm. has, you know, limitations. But for my studio space, in order for me to walk on either end of it, that's about my comfortable width in my in the room. Um so yeah, that's been fantastic. And then actually, I kind of from there went to Rigid Petal because okay. I wanted to bring weaving with me to camping, and you know, to go out to parks and and uh, and you know, out in the back porch and stuff like that. So it's been a conversation starter going camping with a loom, and I've also brought my spinning wheel too. Nice. So I can't not weave. So <laughs> I can't go anywhere without 
at least a weaving book or yeah. a tapestry loom. A tapestry loom. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a small portable tapestry loom that I bring with me and always have it warped up doing something. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I can't yeah. I can't not be doing something. Yeah. So even Fourth of July we had um I was setting up a new warp while we had people out back barbecuing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds about like us. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to kind of make weaving kind of a career, like kind of a second job for you? So I've been sewing for close to 20 years, about 18 years. And that I also happened upon um, where a family member gave me an application to a fabric store. And, you know, I was just in high school. And um, so... I kind of went into the deep end, and that's what got me into textiles. And when you work in a fabric store, you know, you can easily feel the difference between, like, a a quickly made polyester versus, like, a nice silk or or wool, like a true wool versus a synthetic blend and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I still, to this day, just love, like, whenever we travel, going into a fabric store and just feeling all the fabric. So, but I I wanted more, you know, weaving... Um, I wanted to learn how to weave so I can control my textiles that I would sew with. Oh, cool. Because everything that I fell in love with tended to be more in the upholstery section. So it was too thick and chemically treated. So it would be nice and rigid or spill-proof or, you know, stain-proof and all that. But I just wanted something that was, you know, natural fibers and uh, I can control the color. So I guess... Where I've been wanting to to do that instead of just going to a fabric store and buying it is I wanted to control everything from beginning to end. Fiber content, color, texture, um, all the above. So I still I will supplement my sewing um, with like Pendleton wool. I okay. tried to, to go with a you know, higher quality um, material. And so when me and my husband travel, we'll both go to fabric by we, I mean, I drag them along. We'll go to, like, fabric stores and yarn stores. <laughs> and so that's, I also like that part of part of it is that I can look at, you know, suiting wool that I bought in Amsterdam and remember that experience and then sew with that. And then as well as weave the front-facing fabric with yarn that I also bought in, in Amsterdam at the store right next door. Right. So... Um, yeah, I guess it's it's all of a, a control thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, also a learning process. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I love being able to tie in the traveling aspect to it because we we love traveling. Like that's one of our big things. That's why we kind. That's one of a big detail of why we decided to make weaving our career was so that we could travel and meet people and experience new things because we were just experiencing the same things over and over again yeah the same crappy town the same boring people you know (laughs) (laughs) so we just wanted to go out and see new textiles and see new environments and i always end up finding the weaving store in every place that we go to Mm yeah we went we went to the smoky mountains and i found the one weaving store that i could find (laughs) It was like in a strip mall on the second floor and I could see a loom in the window and we mm-hmm. went with his we went with Eric's dad and I was like, Alright guys, I know it's all about fishing and camping, but I see a loom. We're going yes. in. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, we will. My husband luckily has become very understanding as to the lengths I will go with trying to figure out. You know, when you don't have a car and you're like trying to navigate, like we went well out of our way in London to go to a weaving store. Oh, that's awesome. No, we will. We'll figure out the tube. We'll figure out, you know, we'll walk miles if we need to. And I ended up getting, um, I forget, these uh, these sharp things. I'm forgetting what they're, they're called. Temples. temples. Yes, temples. Um, we got a, a longer one. And so uh, we had to transport that back to the States. And I was like, hopefully they don't mind that we have a sharp object in our back <laughs> and trying to explain what this is. Like, it's not a threat. It's not a weapon. It's a weaving tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. So, <sighs> yeah. So since this is kind of it's not your primary income since you are an engineer. Mm-hmm. How do you go about pricing your work? So um, I, I can always do a little better at that. Um, so the, luckily the engineer part of me likes doing time studies. Yeah. And I like breaking down a process. And then, you know, coming up with like, uh, um, the material cost and, and tracking all of that. So yeah. when it comes to the, I guess the core steps, I'm pretty good at at tracking at tracking that. Where I'm bad as all the small things or the, the design portion of things or or anything that I can do while I'm watching Netflix. Like I can easily be like, oh, that doesn't count. Right. But it does count. <laughs> so um, I guess my my motto when I started all of this was I want to sell my handwoven products to support my yarn habit um, and also give me you know an excuse to, to buy more yarn. So, but I'm also really bad at reminding myself that I'm not necessarily my ideal customer. Right. Because I would like to still treat this as a company and it has taught me a lot of business skills that I can then bring into, you know, my, my nine to five mm-hmm. per se. Um, so yeah, um, I, I break it down in terms of material and getting better at the timing portion of things. And it's a lot better for something that's standard, my standard products that I make where I'm really bad at it is when people's like, can you make me a blanket? And I don't really already have that equation of knowing what that blanket will look like or, right. you know, like I thought I was only going to dye the warp and then I started using the weft and I realized it was overwhelming. So then I dyed all that and then I realized I was going to apply it. And so I keep adding on these steps, but I just kind of like, well, this is a lessons learned. I'll eat the time. But I know for like my husband's family owns a high end um, countertop business and everything like that would be a change order mm-hmm. and right. you know they would charge for their time. So I'm trying to get better at that at the same time being competitive because it's like, so if I put a quote out there, are they comfortable with an $800 blanket? But I'm also trying to listen to a lot of like Gary Vee or any other like business related podcasts where like Gary was just saying as soon as someone's asked you to do something they've lost the leverage so like I which sounds a little like harsh for me because I'm like well we're gonna work together it's gonna be a collaboration but at the same time I've realized through some commissions that have been more stressful right we're just like I need to be honest of this is how much time it's going to take and this is my hourly rate and then put it back in their court of if that's acceptable or not because I have to realize I'm taking on the stress of it of making it work 
That's a very long-winded answer. Just say well, I don't really have a good system. Well, um, no, that's actually <laughs> that's actually a really good point because I've never really thought about the point of leverage because I'm always really uncomfortable with doing commission work because it's. I always feel like I want to do it collaboratively. I want to work on it together. And I yeah. never really understood why I'm uncomfortable with it. And I think that's the point is that as soon as they ask, it's they've lost their leverage. And now the leverage is now on my court and I'm uncomfortable with having that power. Yeah. So. And, and you would think with like, because they don't need a, pay the mortgage i mean i'm still hoping to pay my business bills and and build up a savings so then i can increase my my equipment um capabilities with those funds so i'm not digging yeah. into my personal funds try to keep those separate um you think i'd be a lot more comfortable with like well i can like lose this business you know it, it won't matter i can still pay my bills but at the same time yeah there is an emotional aspect of it of like oh, they're going to think my ego is too big or I'm being unrealistic or I don't, I don't know. I still, like, want the opportunity to work with someone. Um, right. But, yeah, there was one job where I had worked with her before and I was happy with the end product, but the back and the forth of, of trying to understand what she wanted because she didn't understand weaving and trying to educate someone of what the capabilities are mm -hmm. um, because she wanted something that was basically, like, like the the hook process okay um, mm -hmm. and i was just like that's not woven <laughs> right and i didn't really have like, like a good profile of saying hey this is my comfort zone and my capabilities yeah um, so i feel like every time i weave something it's an it's a sample and an example of like here's what i can do and trying to i guess kind of stay in my lane yeah because every time I, i'm like well i could probably figure that out is where like the insecurities just shoot out the roof because yeah. Um, yeah. Uh. That's funny because I'm often like, yeah, I could figure that out. And then that's what excites me. I like to have that, um, the problem that I don't know the answer to when I go into it. But also, Tegan and I, when we look for people to do things like photograph our wedding or um, do a drawing for something or illustration or something like that for something we're doing. We like to find a person who's really good at that thing, tell them what we want, mm -hmm. and let them do it. And I feel like that's how we kind of treat our the people who um, are ordering from us, either commissions or wholesale, stuff like that. If you are comfortable with what we do and you believe mm -hmm. that we're good at that, hire us and we'll do a really good job for you. Yeah. But if you don't and you want too much control over the product or the project, mm -hmm as it's happening, mm -hmm. then we're mm -hmm. definitely not the right fit because we'll do our proposals and we'll make a thing based on conversations that we have, questions we asked. We're thorough with that part. And then we come back to you with what we think is the right answer. And then from there, you know, let us do our job and make some awesome stuff for you. Yeah. Or we decide that maybe it's not the right fit, but at least we know that before we like by material yes know? yeah yeah it's just it's all really challenging yeah. i'm i'm still new to it i'm still figuring it out and it's like mm -hmm. eric seems to have a much more zen approach to it than i do which 
I just get really spazzy and I'm like, yes, I'm excited. I want to work with somebody. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think yeah. if you take on those jobs that you don't really want or you may not be the right fit for, you sort mm-hmm. of lose why you're doing the thing you're doing. Yes. And if you're working for yourself, I understand totally, and I'm not discounting the fact that people need to work and make money to live. I get mm-hmm. that 100%. But in this sort of idealish kind of life that we've built for ourselves, I feel like, and even like you in your, you don't need to take these jobs because mm-hmm. you've got this other income source anyway. Um, you sort of want to take the jobs that you really feel passionate about. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you can do so much better and then your Netflix watching time doesn't need to count because it was super enjoyable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's like a fine line that you have to strike there between do I need to do this so that I can pay off this loom that I just bought or mm-hmm. can I skip this job because it's just going to be more of a headache than it's worth and I'll figure out some other way to make that payment. Yeah, yeah, and only through experience am I finding that, that line Mm-hmm. better um, yeah. as opposed to like well I've never tried it it could be easy uh, and then <laughs> afterwards I'm like okay lessons learned yep. um, not my comfort zone so it's it's similar with like rugs I was I was taking that on I use Pendleton scraps and I make rugs and and it's it's technically it's very easy it's a, it's a plain weave I mean I'm using like AEPI so the setup's real fast mm-hmm. um, but I just it's it's something, but I don't really get excitement out of making it. And then the material just takes up a lot of room. And then the final product's heavy, and, and I don't want to ship it. So I've kind of realized, okay, that's my actually my next um, project on my loom, just so I can kind of move past that 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 phase or that chapter of me exploring the area. I kind of realized, okay, it's not really a thing I want to be known for I can't can do but I want to get maybe back into the um into the weaving for sewing and yeah. then also experimenting with fibers that are a little less commercial you know going with like like I would um we love alpaca here in central Oregon and um I enjoy weaving with it so that but also trying like paper yarn I've never woven with paper yarn so I want to try that and uh and like uh, I got some nettle yarn and just just things like that. So continue down the the fiber rabbit hole. Oh, it's such so. a good rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. <laughs> I know that um, there's been a lot of experiments with like hemp being blended with different yarns too that are being really interesting. And then sea cell, which is like seaweed yeah. blended with stuff, which I had never heard of. And it's mm-hmm. like super silky, apparently. Oh, I want to play with that too. Yes. Yeah, we've got. Yeah, so yeah. we're going to start. I think I want to start doing material testing for weavers mm-hmm. so that, like, someone like you who want, who mm-hmm. um, is interested in trying materials and but doesn't necessarily want to invest in a ton of it at once can go to the website check it out check out the materials and be like oh plain weave twill overshot tests like i can see how it folds up i'm i can invest Mm -hmm. in a few pounds of it so i can do it myself yeah because i like how it looks yeah 
because I mean you can go and see like samples of it but it's usually for knitters like you see like mm-hmm. the knit yeah. swatch samples and things like that yeah but yarn oh there's such a magical world of yarn <laughs> there really is yeah um that's actually like a, another reason why i just why i really enjoy weaving as opposed to just sticking with sewing is i got accepted so my undergrad is mechanical engineering my master's industrial engineering but i okay. got accepted to philadelphia university for textile engineering at the same time and so i had to make that decision of of practical which was the industrial or um you know more of like a a passion of going into the textile route well i was i was talked into i guess i was convinced more of the practical route side of things right of an industrial engineer can eventually maybe do what a textile engineer can do but not vice versa I kind of realized I was a little naive um, of there's, it's just a whole different science of textiles. Yeah. So I feel like this whole textile adventure to me is like my, my makeshift grad program. Yeah. Um, of, of trying to understand that. I mean, I'm not doing like the same lab tests or, you know, breaking down any material science portions of things. So it's just that hands-on, I want to know how things are made. And uh, so being able to create it myself, but also understanding mechanically all the different looms um, and the different equipment for, I would like, I'd love to learn more about industrial spinning because I just have a little two treadle Kromsky um, spinning wheel and electric spinning wheel and, and some drop spindles. But yeah. I would love to go into like a, a mill and understand, you know, their carding process and their spinning and their plying and, and everything like that. Um, yeah, I really nerd out on everything from beginning to end. So, Something that is really helpful is getting involved with a local fiber shed. I don't know okay. if there's one in Oregon. I know that there's one in California. Um, okay. That's where the fiber sheds originated. And what they do a lot of times is they connect farmers, spinners, manufacturers designers and really try to create transparency and connection with all of these things so like you would be able to go see these industrial spinning mills and be able to see these processes go to the farms and see how they grow see how they process these materials i know that on in new york we have the hudson valley textile project we talk about it almost every episode Mm -hmm. But they, also local fiber, shout out to them. Also local fiber. And <laughs> we we are lucky that we have our local spinning mill, Bat and Kill Fiber Mill, where we can go in and see the spinning heads going, the carter going and everything. And it's really impressive to see the material go from the raw fiber to the end product because I had no idea when I was in grad school, nope. undergrad, totally forgot i didn't go to grad school um when i was an undergrad that basically when you take your raw material half of it basically disappears when it Mm -hmm. goes into the final product Mm -hmm. so when we went and looked at this wool the last weekend to say hey we're gonna take this and make it into yarn it's like all right well 150 pounds is like 75 75 yeah. yeah. Once it's finished. 
And actually for us, that'll be a little higher pound-wise because we'll be mixing 2575 mm -hmm. with hemp mm -hmm. through the process. So there are ways to um, like extend your material. So if you do yeah. have maybe only the ability to buy um, like 100 pounds of fiber, but you need like 300 to get what you want to do for a project, mills mm -hmm. will often have... Uh, they do like fiber pools and stuff like that. So you may be able to have the mill mix it, your stuff with somebody else's stuff less expensively or some other kind of material to extend it, that kind of thing. So yeah. when you get into that sort of cycle of uh, making your own material, you can get mm -hmm. real finicky about it. Nice. Yeah. Once I gain the confidence of knowing exactly what I want, mm -hmm. then... Uh, because, yeah, well, luckily we have a Central Oregon, uh, like a wool growers mm -hmm. um, group. And so it's it's a lot of uh, people that have sheep and, and, and gore goats. And, and I don't know if the alpacas are, are included in all of that. But, yeah, I, I should really research any kind of um, local mills. Because the closest one that I know our guild members go to, it's about two, three hours south. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the, the pluses and the minuses of living in, in central of the state. There's not always the resources at hand, but right. mm. within driving distance, we can get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a question about your um, sewing. So when yeah. you're, do you make material differently when you know you're going to sew it after? Um, so I try to make it lighter weight so I won't... Um, and then I guess it's twofold. So I don't really do overshot because I'm always afraid of, you know, something hooking onto it or like having too many, too many floats. Um, but yeah, I do try to make it a little bit thinner. I've, I've used a uh, thicker cotton and you can't really like go backwards from that of making it thinner. When you make something small, it just really gets bulky mm -hmm. when you, because uh, I also line or put interfacing on the back of it to keep it from unraveling. So I apply a fusible interfacing, then sew around um, and then cut it out. So it's a bit of a process just to get a piece to start out with. But yeah, I like starting out with a thinner fabric and then that way you know I can go as thick as I want with the interfacing so I can kind of control the the rigidness using the interfacing as opposed to the fabric itself so I'll stick with 828452 you know but I won't go much larger than that because I've just had that stacking issue of then it just becomes really bulky around like where I put a zipper or mm -hmm. anything like right. that or corners what kind so of things currently, do you make? how are you <laughs> sorry what, what? What kinds of things do you make? Um, so I like making, I guess how I synthesize is like just uh, home travel and fashion accessories. Okay. Um, so like home can be the pillowcases, uh, the tea towels, uh, table runners. Um, I've just made one set of, of placemats because I grew up using placemats, but I guess I personally don't use placemats. So I kind of have that question of, do people do placemats anymore? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, you go on Instagram and you see these beautiful table sets. So I'm like, okay, if I could find something that can be like Instagram worthy, um, like in terms of the design and aesthetic and then travel. So I love traveling. And so I find myself, you know, my jewelry would get entangled or get snapped or anything like that. So I design like a little travel case that I can just like throw in a gym bag or or as we travel to try to keep my necklace from entangling. 
Um, so sometimes it's just a solution to my own problems or okay. scratching sunglasses, so making sunglasses cases Mm -hmm. so again all these things i could make with like commercial yarn but or commercial fabric but i want to kind of make it very unique and show people the process you know of of how things are made from beginning to end um so yeah that's uh and then there's in the fashion accessories just mostly scarves and purses Mm -hmm. so yeah cool that's awesome do you find it challenging to have so much variety in your work or do you find it like really exhilarating to like be able to jump from project to project? Sometimes I feel a little bit too yeah, chaotic of of having too many things in the works and I would like to, you know, check things off of my to-do list. But at the same time, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or discouraged, it is really nice. I mean, similar to having multiple looms of, like, being discouraged on my floor loom, just go to the rigid huddle. Um, so I would say I, I'm trying to find, always trying to find the balance. Yeah. And um, and I'll make things and then kind of realize, okay, well, maybe I don't want to go too crazy Um with like, I haven't gone, I have a lot of ideas for things to help supplement the, the kitchen and the dining room for the home decor, but I've kind of been like, okay, let's just focus on, on these areas um, that make me a little bit more excited. Like travel accessories, I haven't been doing as much because traveling's not necessarily a thing of people leaving their homes. Mm. Um, <laughs> but so, but oddly enough, with the rigid huddle looms, I've been really excited to weave scarves um just because it's so much different than weaving on my floor loom my floor loom i tend to beat it too hard and so i don't get the same flowiness to the scarf with the rigid huddle loom there's no way i can beat it hard enough to make it as stiff and i can i feel like i'm more free to play around with um with fancier yarns on the rigid huddle loom as opposed to on the floor loom i feel like I love working with a band, like a 5-2 bamboo warp, and then I'll supplement it with the fancier yarns for the weft. On the, the rigid huddle loom, I feel like I can, you know, use whatever yarn, and I have zero waste if I use tassels, or if I have tassels on the end. And even if I decide to just sew those over, I may have, you know, six inches of waste on either end. Right. As opposed to the floor loom, I wouldn't use any of the, the fancy yarns because I have, you know, a minimum of two feet of, of waste on the end right so yeah i guess i go through waves of what what is exciting and that is also the nice thing of kind of i guess being a little bit more autonomous and, and just kind of creating and putting it out into the universe uh, i just i kind of float around with with what i'm working on um and yeah but i i'm t- trying not to to make it um too all over the place yeah Make it cohesive yeah well it seems it's a nice collection of work together because it all has a general theme it's like it's all a collection it's collecting things together it's like mm-hmm. it's collecting the jewelry in one place it's collecting the makeup in one place even the towels <laughs> it's like you're collecting in the kitchen into one place mm-hmm. like to clean the kitchen so everyone can be together i like it yeah. It seems cohesive to me. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I just know, like, if you're going to, like, scroll through, you know, Instagram, some people have a very clear aesthetic of, you know, of having, like, a natural cotton supplemented with muted colors. 
Yeah. And and that's just like everything. And so one of my things I can use fluorescent colors, and the other ones I'm using like muted colors. I could do a point twill or a plain weave, or you know just a, a wrap weave. It's I'm still kind of defining that portion, so you can yeah. look at it and be like, oh, that's obviously like central organ textiles, right? Mm-hmm. But they'll come with time. Yeah, it comes with time. I don't think we've developed that aesthetic. I I just get too excited. I just want to do everything. Yeah, it's hard, I think. Well, we spent a lot of time on, what, 10 years before we started the business? Yeah. We were weaving. So you had a lot of lead time to think about, like, what kind of things you liked and then as you got better and better, it opened new doors. And I think that that's sort of an ever-evolving um, yeah. thing. Because at, at some point in the beginning, you didn't know what you didn't know. And now you're at the <laughs> point where you know what you don't know and you want to know that. Yeah. You know? So I think that there's, um, <laughs> there's sort of an evolution. But I think you definitely have dialed in a sort of aesthetic I guess so. Yeah. And it all all of the <laughs> techniques around that you sort of experiment with and do new things with. But you all sort of you sort of stay inside like a, a look and feel, maybe the same colors, that kind of stuff. Okay. Of course I have to have my husband tell me this as I'm sitting here yeah. like I'm in my own studio just looking at all my stuff all the time, like I don't see it, but okay. Yeah, well and also you um you're not looking at it from like standing back. No. You're right there mm-hmm. on top of everything you make, you know? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very true. So you do lose some amount of perspective in that. True. Yeah. So I know that we had mentioned briefly but you do a lot more social media than I do. So I'm just I'm just on Instagram. I barely mm-hmm. do Facebook because it just drives me crazy. But you are on TikTok? Yes. How is that going? <laughs> I mean, I just got on Reddit on like the subreddit for weaving mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, maybe I can start like getting into this like to help weavers out and like see how that goes. So, <laughs> I'm interested to hear like your per- perspective on different social media and how that can help the weaving community. Yeah, so I would say when it comes to like weaving and social media, my go-to is I guess Facebook. And it's the Facebook groups, Um, and that's where I learn a lot. I feel very fortunate, even though we have an in-person community, of having the international presence of being able to ask any dyeing, spinning, weaving-related question. But that that feels a little bit more, I guess, educational um, there. Instagram is definitely inspirational, but it can also be so pure like curated that I feel like, well, why even try? I'm never going to achieve that level of, like, perfection and photography and and everything like that um but i also really love uh instagram for um when i kind of get over my my ego and self-doubt and and the network that it's created with other weavers closer Mm -hmm. to my generation um and and kind of what are the next steps and the evolution so i would say facebook's great for like the 30 to 90 year old like knowledge collection and then instagram is great for like the 20 to 40 um current state 
And then what got me thinking about TikTok, which I know it's a little bit of a controversial like platform for some people, um, with the whole like India's banned it, China's banned it, is America going to ban it next kind of a thing. And so there's like the security and the political aspect of TikTok that if we just take that away and just look at the content that's been created and what it's evolved into, I'm way more attracted to that because it feels like people are living a little bit more authentically there, which I mean, everything's curated to a certain extent, right? Um, But I feel like there's more conversations around the everyday struggles and mental health and the process and the hardships of creating something. And and, um, so with that, with weaving, I guess, where I went to that platform is I was hoping to kind of capture the attention of the next generation of weavers. So sure, they may be 14 and 16 year old now, but eventually they'll be, you know, 24, 34 years old. And what do they want to do when they're 24 years old? And especially for anyone that's on there as escapism to try to figure out, you know, something to look forward to or something to learn. Um, I'm hoping with the weaving, they may not, you know, buy a loom tomorrow, um, but but just making them aware. So I want to create awareness on there, um, education, um, and then also maybe inspiration for, for a few people. So I know one, one girl, she was just like, this is really fascinating. I want to give it a try, but I have no budget. So she just got cardboard and just, you know, cut holes in it and did a warp and just experimented that way. But then someone else was like, hey, I was inspired and I got an Asher Rigid Heddle Loom. How do I set it up? So, Whoa. you know, it was just, just trying to get like one or two new weavers mm-hmm. so this can continue. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been it's been kind of it's been a crazy journey because I I mean again I, I just resort back to Gary V. Gary V just says go where the attention is. TikTok is where it's at. But then he's also realistic, like that platform can disappear tomorrow. So you have to just be ready for that. So I'd say by being on that platform I've gotten a lot more comfortable with trying to film my process and trying to convey what it is or how do I like whenever I do dying videos, everyone thinks I'm dying noodles for whatever reason <laughs> so we we kind of like joke there's another dyer on there we kind of joke that it's the forbidden noodles um but yeah just trying to get that um that message out there but then you know some people it's crazy with when it comes to wanting to relax and how relaxing weaving can be so i kind of share that part of it where it's just me cutting off a warp from a loom will get over a million views For 15 seconds of me weaving on a rigid huddle loom got, you know, 5.7 million views. Whoa. So it's, there's, it's not a large weaving community on TikTok. I can tell you that. Okay. There's like me clockwise weaving. She's, uh, and we're talking like consistent content. There are people who kind of weave, um, once in a while and show it on there, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's not well represented yet because we have so many great weavers on Instagram. And, but on TikTok, I want to show the, the process or, you know, get people started talking about, about it. Because some people, I'll get um, 
an arrangement of, of responses of like, oh, I tried this once, you know, on a school field trip, or my grandma used to do this. Um, but but some people are like, I had no clue how fabric was made, yeah. or you know, how does how does that piece of equipment work? So also talking about the terminology, and because it's a very unique language to to speak. Yeah. And uh, and where do you even start if you're not going down to you know? a local store and, and being able to play with things in person. So, so yeah, are, you know, are a million, are a million people going to, you know, start weaving now? Probably not, but at least they're aware that it's out there. And maybe in five or 10 years when they're financially independent and they have free time, they'll think, Hey, that was a really cool craft. You know, maybe I want to give it a try. So that's my, my goal with that platform is just to create exposure. Um, and, and and educate people. So, yeah, and then I had, like, I don't know if anything will come of it, but, like, BuzzFeed reached out to me this week. They are like, hey, we're enjoying your videos. Can we share your content? Which I nice. had never had that before. So I'm hoping, again, that it can kind of continue the conversation of textiles isn't just something that you go to a fabric store and get. Yeah. Even the people that want to sew in the beginning, like, to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, you can own, you can create yourself. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a rabbit hole. I haven't been on Reddit. I've tried going on Twitter for textiles related. There's nothing on there. Um, yeah, and the people so who like, are oh, there part of the conversation. It. What's that? The people who are there on Twitter don't want us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's, I don't think it's the platform my go-to. Um, but Reddit would be an interesting one. I haven't, I haven't explored that that realm. I so I tried it a while ago, but I couldn't figure it out, and I just got frustrated. Mm. I'm giving it another go <laughs> yeah. because I feel like there's there's got to be something in there. There's so much good, like so many good magical things come out of Reddit. Like mm-hmm. Eric finds magical mm-hmm. things all the time, so I'm like, why can't I? <laughs> So that's that's where I'm trying. I I just started a conversation with somebody who's trying to figure out her textile thesis. So I'm like, I can help. Oh. So it's uh yeah, I never when you started like sharing your TikTok videos, I was like, that's an interesting concept. Cuz I always I haven't gotten into TikTok and I think I'm just not the right person for it. <laughs> Because I'm a little bit of a technophobe, but I can see how it is so appealing. Like, I can see, and I can also see how it could be appealing with weaving. Because Mm. if it's just a moment of recreation, like, you can just get into that zen moment with weaving. And, like, Mm -hmm. watch the threads moving. Or, like, watch it being cut off the loom. Or, like, have a little educational post. Like, Mm -hmm. it could be sweet. Mm -hmm. I dig it. And, like, social media is such an accessible media now for so many people. And Mm -hmm. it's so important to have something that's accessible for a wide range of people and a Mm -hmm. wide range of financial situations. Because so many people don't know what weaving is or don't know where cloth comes from. So to be able to share that beyond a college or beyond an art school is so important 
because it brings so much more light and education and knowledge to the world that you feel more connected with each other and what we're doing. I think that one of the things that started us down the path of doing this podcast and the Professional Weaver Society was that, um, I mean, there are a million things, but something that sparked in my brain was uh, one of the people that we taught to weave and was then maybe going to be hired by us before all this happened. Um, she had done a beautiful set of grown and color cotton um, kitchen towels. Mm -hmm. And we got a couple of them for Christmas. And she was mentioning that her she sent them to her brother, I think, right? Or somebody? Somebody in her family. And they were like, wait a second. You made this? How did you mm -hmm. make this? You didn't make mm -hmm. this. You know, yeah. fabric comes from like a mythical land beyond Earth exactly. or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it really like sparked in my brain because you kind of know that people don't know where fabric comes from but mm -hmm. you don't it doesn't hit you until somebody doesn't know where fabric comes from or how it's made you know what i mean oh yeah you get some conversations at shows and especially since i sew with it so they're like well where'd you get your fabric from i'm like oh i wove it and they're like what do you mean like no no where did you get it and i was like so that's why I got a rigid heddle loom uh, in the first place was to bring it to shows. And so I can show the process. And, and I know you had that conversation about bringing the rigid heddles to shows. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of me, I like it. It's a semi-educational like a tool in a very high level, right? Um, but it's also kind of nice. Or it's like, even if I don't sell a single thing, I would just be sitting at home anyway weaving so this way i could still i mean it's not as fast of a pace when you're when you have you know side conversations and whatnot but i can weave a few towels while i'm sitting there but then that way people can can truly understand where this isn't just like some slogan or some like handcrafted but it's not really like right. you know i just sewed a tag into something and i said it was handcrafted mm -hmm. and it's just like nope no electricity i just you know, except for my sewing machine. Um, it's just me and some threads. <laughs> like, the power can go out. I'm still creating. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that with with this exposure that more people, you know, feel, feel the need to go to shows um, to see what people make appreciated a little bit better. But then you don't have to have your first conversation being like, well, what are you doing? It could be more advanced conversations of like, oh, well, what's this made out of? Or um, like what something about the, the color combinations or, or the fiber content. It's just, I guess, a little bit more advanced instead of just starting out with like, so there's these things called looms mm -hmm. and you take yarn and yeah, you can go from there and then just greater appreciation instead of them automatically thinking of some antiquated black and white picture from the industrial revolution you know those kind of blooms mm -hmm. um but then also not think oh this is only something for you know someone in a bonnet and and an apron and you know the 1800s like it's something we can do today um and yeah and have a reason for it <laughs> yeah 
I think I always surprise people when I sit down and I have like a full back tattoo, my hair's all bright colors, and I sit down and start mm-hmm. weaving, and they're just like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. So it's not just old mm-hmm. white women who sit down and with their reenactments weaving yeah. at the old barn looms. Yeah, it's like still. A fair or something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's interesting. I think that um, part of what. Like, part of the way that we try to com- combat that kind of uh, notion of what weaving is, is by taking influence from those old fabrics and designs that were made, and then trying to transition those ideas and philosophies into something much more modern with different colors, or executing mm-hmm. uh, similar techniques and different materials that maybe weren't available then. So that people can yeah. see, oh, we can actually, like, have this really cool stuff in our house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not, like, I don't have to go to, uh, like, Target to buy a blanket. I can get a cool modern blanket here, you know, with these yeah. people that are actually making it. Mm-hmm. Where do you get your inspiration from? Because you have, like, these bright, rich colors that just really make me happy. And I just want to know where they come from. Like, what sparks your joy to make these creations? Um, so sometimes I will. This is the exciting thing about getting into dyeing is is getting more into the controls. But sometimes it's honestly a pleasant surprise of, like, I, I kind of think, oh, these four colors would look good together. And I just do a blotch. But then... You know, it's, it's the fabric will just kind of create itself. It, there's, it would be a high level of sophistication for a software to take a multicolored yarn and anticipate, okay, at 24 inches wide, it's going to create these these pooling effects of color. Um, I'm drawn towards twills, like pointed twills, M's and W's, um, a lot when it comes to, you know, when I look through the the patterns. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just, I fall in love with, with uh, a colorful yarn and I supplement that usually with like a base, like a, a white, black, gray background. So, but the, the hand-painted warp that I'm making for a blanket right now is the first time I've had the interaction of hand-painted warp and hand-painted weft. Mm-hmm. And the color inspiration for that actually came from a book where it has all these like animals, rocks, snakes, butterflies... Uh, so it's a lot of these nature pictures. Um, so this one is a, a moss green black weft and then like a, a cobalt blue and black warp. And that was inspired by a picture of a parrot. Um, so that all started because I got this moss green wool yarn and it was it was very kind of overwhelming in color. So I had to figure out, okay, how do I supplement this? But I'm also trying to push myself from just going with two colors. And, and you know, I would, at the beginning of my weaving, I'd say, okay, green and black or green and gray. And then I would just stick with those two colors and just let the pattern um, work with it. But with this, I decided, okay, let's try to push it a little bit. I mean, I didn't push it too far because I supplemented with black, which is a very easy mm-hmm. um, color to, to put into it. But the, the moss green and the blue was exciting to work with. Um, and I got a little, not too 
not too crazy, but just try to supplement a little bit. Oh. Um, but yeah, the, this one was exciting because I ended up going with the plain weave. Yeah. Um, Ooh, sorry. Nice. But it's, um, at first I was going to do like this crazy pointed twill thing and I had set it all up and I didn't like the way the back looked with too many floats because being a blanket. With sewing, I can put interfacing on that and hide it and you never see those floats. But with a blanket, you have to expose both sides. Um, but I also, I wanted, I realized I liked more of a balanced look. So I guess in that case, it kind of, what I had planned for, I had to, to deviate from. Um, which is part of the, the learning process. Yeah. So, yeah, colors inspired by nature. Um, I absolutely adore the dyers that can take, like, a picture of a sunset and somehow recreate those colors and, you know, come up with that colorway. Um, but, yeah, nature is always a great inspiration um, to, to try to... Uh, get those colorways, but also trying to challenge myself because, you know, unless I do like a warp face or wet face, you have to kind of figure out, okay, how does, how do the two interact with each other and how do I find the right balance? Um, so I'm getting better at like, okay, a soft weight knitting yarn, what set do I need for the warp? And sometimes that's been trial and error yeah. of, um, making sure that, you know, especially if you like point twill, you know, that a diamond's a diamond, like symmetrical, and it doesn't look squished. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Squished or elongated or mm-hmm. all that stuff. So um, some of my inspiration is just going into a yarn store and just, you know, just going crazy with that. <laughs> so it's trial and error. Um, some of it's, you know, looking through books or being inspired by, like, a flower or a parrot. Yeah. So kind of all over. <laughs> Did your work in engineering in any way influence, like, maybe the patterns that you weave or the kind of structures you use or just general things about your weaving? Yeah, so um, I'm definitely, a, like, a bear. I like things symmetrical. So I, I don't really do... Um, I, I don't know, anything kind of crazy pattern, pattern-wise. And that's why, I guess... Inherently with, with weaving, it kind of has the repetitive structure nature of things, but um, I don't feel like I'm overly creative of, of switching it up or making... Um, I've pushed myself to go from, like, one float to then, you know, later, like, two and then three or, like, how many picks mm-hmm. uh, for the same pattern to get an elongated, you know, a little bit more of an artistic fashion. But I definitely love how structured it all is. Um, and also because it's mechanical, I can control the tension more. Like, I've tried knitting, I've tried crocheting, but you're at the mercy of your own hands to create that even tension. Mm-hmm. And that's just, a cute, like, I didn't have the patience for that. But if I can mechanically control it, then I'm more comfortable with it. Yep. I mean, to the extent of each personality of, you know, each loom that you have to kind of learn. It's, it's, a, it's a learning curve. But... But you can, like, learn that and perfect it and repeat it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of, I would say, uh, this definitely goes hand-in-hand hand with my engineering background. Mechanical engineering, I took my minor in material science, so I was very interested. And I was thinking about going down the material science route, but I didn't like chemistry. So I took bare minimum chemistry <laughs> and uh, and then just, you know, took the other classes so you can kind of realize um, 
like my polymers class or physical metallurgy, um, you can kind of realize a lot of these factors that play into to the materials and how they behave. So I'm kind of learning that more on a macro scale, right? Like I'm not looking at fibers under some crazy microscope to, you know, understand like a super wash merino wool, the process, and then they chemically treat it to make it smoother as opposed to a more traditional wool that still has, you know, the kind of hook properties of the individual fibers. But I learned that the hard way of realizing wool is, quote, sticky. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, the, the contribution to, to moisture content in the air and how that behaves um, with the weaving process. So, um, yeah, and a long-winded answer, I think they, they do, uh, it has really influenced, you know, how I work. Or, or what I tend to gravitate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I tend to gravitate to those perfect diamonds and shapes as well. But I'm coming at it from a uh, design, like communication design kind of background, mm-hmm. where when my sort of philosophy in that is everything you need and nothing you don't. Yeah. So I something that's so important in that kind of philosophy of design is that everything is perfect in its place and it drives me crazy when i see like a diamond that's just out of like per- like perfect diamond shape you know mm-hmm. and i know i go to, she'll be like weaving along and i'll be like ooh it just it, it bugs me in a way that it doesn't bug her it's yeah. not like right or wrong but it's uh it's interesting in like how like differently we approach it because I would have zero ability to talk anything engineering with you but I can like totally agree with you on your sort of perspective on how patterns should look and things should be woven whereas my lovely lady here loves undulating things and things that are kind of crazy and a little bit different you know mm-hmm. I, I tend to gravitate towards weavings that have optical illusions and have like really glitch elements to them so they look like mistakes but they have like the elemental designs to them which poor poor eric drives them crazy so i tend to weave those sporadically (laughs) or yeah i kind of i got inspired i guess pushed into into a little bit more of an undulated or like um a broken up weave. I don't know if you can see this. So it almost looks like oh, yeah. like oh. if you were to take a heartbeat. Yeah. And, and you know that that kind of sporadic line. So I'm happy with how it turned out, but my friend kind of had to be like, that pattern looks really pretty. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Not It wouldn't be the pattern I would go to and look at. And it drive, drive me a little bit crazy because this was one of those examples where you would do you know, a one through eight treadle pattern with one pick each, and then you do it with two picks and then three picks. Um, so I enjoyed the the challenge plus two shuttles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoyed the the challenge of that, but aesthetically, it wouldn't be the first thing I would gravitate towards. But then the problem with things are too symmetrical is when you go and sew with it, it's very obvious if you're like a sixteenth of an inch off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it doesn't take long before it travels, and you're like those two centers of the diamond aren't perfectly aligned. Mm-hmm. And so one of one of the advice, like an advice that I got as an engineer that's traveled into my work is don't let perfection get in the way of progress. 
So I've had to realize that when sometimes I get very discouraged when, you know, my salvages aren't where I want them to be, or I sew something or, or I, I, um, like iron on some fusible interfacing. And once you do that, you're the nice thing. If you get it right, then your pattern, it doesn't, you know, stretch on the bias, um, those kind of things. But if you lay it down wrong, then that kind of travels with it as you sew it. And even though your template's perfectly square, um, it kind of, you know, is, it quickly goes off, off the deep end when not everything else is perfect about it. So, and especially when you do, um, yeah, some pieces that you just, as soon as you sew that seam and you turn it inside out, you can't, you just can't see it, but you're like, how many times do I need to take a seam ripper to this and redo it mm -hmm. um, before I get it perfect <laughs> versus like just realizing good is good enough sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. That mm -hmm. is the hardest part about the symmetricalness of it. You know, it's, it's interesting because um, in the weaving part of it, it's easier I think, at least for me, to be able to know that I'm doing it right if I can see the symmetricalness. And as yes. soon as that kind of goes away and I can't like measure side to side and top to bottom or whatever, um, or like mirror something over or something like that, then I'm like, am I doing it right? Is this the right angle that it should be at? Is my beat correct? And mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I think that frustrates me in mm. the weaving part because I like to do it right the first time and yeah. not have to pay for my mistakes later but I don't I also don't sew with the things I make I make mm -hmm. like rugs and flat things where as soon as it comes off the line it gets tied up and then it goes like on a table for a runner or it it's its own thing it goes on mm -hmm. the floor for a rug or whatever so yeah I don't have that like next step to think about mm -hmm. And that probably also influences the kind of patterns that I make and yeah. things I design. So that kind of leads us into our last question. No, it doesn't. I have others. You right have now. others? Yeah. Okay. You have other questions. I've been writing them down as we've been going. That's why I keep looking down. Um, okay, so uh, just a sort of general question. You were saying that you're making blankets. Do you panel blankets? Do you like weave two panels and then sew them together? Or do you just weave as wide as you can on your loom? So in this example, it will be, it'll, it'll actually be my uh, second time of doing panel. I would really love to, in my weaving journey, like I know technically how to do it and I have done it, but I would love to perfect a double weave, double width. Mm. Um, I'm just, I have yet to perfect that, that seam so it, looks like it's not there mm -hmm. it's either you know way too clumped at the fold or like awkwardly spaced at the fold so um <laughs> any I, tips or tricks for that okay there is a solution listen to this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we found the solution we found the solution i remember the solution it is you have to put you slay in a like mercerized cotton in uh -huh. with the material that you're weaving along that fold because okay. you're going to pull out that cotton mm -hmm. well you also want it or linen or you, linen yeah okay. something that doesn't stretch and then you weight it super heavy on the back 
You want it like been, twangy. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing that with my my normal lines, um, using fishing line. Yeah. And and heavy washers on the end. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll need to. I I think I just need to get brave enough to be like, okay, just commit a warp to it. And at the very least, if the fold looks really bad, then just you know, cut in and. You work yeah. with it with sewing fabric. You know, that's the nice thing is if I have horrible salvages or something on the ends that are going wrong, then I can just, you know, cut it and sew it whatever shapes I want. Yeah. So I feel like I have a little bit of grace there. But no, that's a good uh, a good example. Do you kind of space out at the fold your, your EPI? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's the part that I wanted you to hear about. Okay. we spent so, weeks... I spent I spent maybe two weeks making so this is the other part (laughs) I don't remember exactly how far to space it out because I spent two weeks making samples and didn't take notes on anything I have all the samples Mm -hmm. I can see exactly what I did I don't know what set I did it at Mm -hmm. but I do believe that I set it it was like two-thirds some, it was somewhere in the two-thirds. Yeah. Okay, it was so like, it's not a half, but it's, it's not... Okay. Yeah, it's like not not quite a half, not quite double. And it will change like based on the material you have. So if you have wool that's not superwash, it will come together differently than a cotton mm-hmm. blanket will. Um, yeah. The wool is, seems to be more forgiving in yeah. our experience in that. That makes sense. Because it'll full up a little, it'll grab its mm-hmm. neighbors, it'll kind of bring itself together a bit. Uh, yeah. The cotton, you can see if there's like, a, like, you know, a millimeter extra between this one and that one. Mm-hmm. It just kind of stays mm-hmm. there. There's only so much yeah. you can wash that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you do awesome. do it and you do samples about it, take notes. Yes. <laughs> Importante. Yeah. Take notes. That's the nice thing um, with, like, well, I have, like, all, all my notes are taken on, like, graph paper, and then I have a, a folder, so, like, a binder itself. So I'll take, like, a little sample or, like, a little clip it of my um, yarn itself and what set, and uh, I, I start out really good with my notes, and then I'm really bad with, like, my time study portion of things. Mm-hmm. But where I've helped with my time studies is because posting for TikTok has gotten me in the habit of filming every part of my process. And so I can always go back to to that and be like, okay, well, you know, I can use that as my, my time study. Mm. But also my information of like, wait, what was the tag on that yarn? Because I may have accidentally misplaced it or thrown it away or whatnot. So it's it's also, I feel like sometimes I just create the videos for my own um, journaling of my process. So, and then if, if, if I have to film it in a way that I need to convey it to someone else, it can help convey it back to me, you know, six months later of what I did. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the writing everything down. I know people who are fantastic at having little tags and as they weave, they'll write on a tag with a string and they'll tie that onto their warp as they weave. So when they pull it off, they have the note like right there. Mm-hmm. I was like, "They're they're so fancy." Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not quite that fancy. I'm I'm lucky <laughs> if I like put it in my. I have a time tracking app. I use Hours Tracker, yeah. and 
I, I like it because it forces me to take notes as soon as I clock out. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky if I do that. So it at least it alerts me. It's like, hey, you have to take notes. I'm like, oh, right, I have to do that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it wasn't for that, I would... Poor Eric would be like, what did you do today? Oh, I wove. Yeah. Well, how much? I don't know. I think a yard? No. <laughs> five? Yeah, I wove five yards. Seems about right. Seems about right. Yeah. Um, so on the note of uh, like videoing everything you're doing... How do you set that up? Is that just like on your cell phone and you sort of have different places you mount it or are you doing it like on a camera and pulling it in somehow? Uh, So everything right now is just being done on my my iPhone Mm -hmm. and using my tripod. Um, You know, I've kind of dreamt about having like really fancy and I've kind of jerry-rigged it one time of having like an... um, my camera setting so it faces like directly down because i don't have a castle on my loom to to mount anything to so i just like got like a shelf next to it and like counterweighted the the phone precariously i may have knocked it a few times that's the nice thing with editing so um yeah everything's just on my phone start on my phone edited on my phone not really any fancy apps um that's one thing i, I feel like some creators get really in uh like they don't want to post on on TikTok because they look at the things that people are like this took me 24 hours to create or you know 8 hours of editing to put together and I'm just like no 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 it's just especially for a 15 second video I'll just like edit it down to 15 seconds and the most I'll do is put some text on top of it or or I'll just post multiple videos and then you can just like cut them individually um and but i don't really use like an external app for all of that but um yeah so i try to keep it pretty pretty simple with with all of my process because i know if i overcomplicate it then i just won't post anything Mm. yeah so try to keep it keeping it simple is is my go-to i don't do any voiceovers i'm never in front of the camera someday i'll get comfortable with that um, but yeah, I'm just kind of like, I keep the focus on the product and the process. And I feel like social media and being able to video your process is a new tool to weaving yeah. because I think that's the newest advantage to this craft because mm-hmm. it is such a solitary thing that not a lot of mm-hmm. people know about it. So to be able to use the social media aspect and use the video is really bringing and inviting people into your studio more, yeah. which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Just to bring it full circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, would you ever be interested in, say, when you chronicle a project on TikTok, have you ever thought about putting that like a longer format version of that together and posting that somewhere yeah i've had a couple questions about like when i'm going to create a youtube channel um and and i know i I should i mean i have all the videos right so i can just you know take those because i am limited to only a minute max on tiktok um and i guess i could do that you know i could start out with doing that and then do more of an igtv on instagram for Mm -hmm. a longer format process I guess because I've kept it so simple, maybe that's a fancy way of saying lazy for editing. Um, then, then I just haven't gotten to to that um, side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I think people, especially those who are like, hey, I was inspired to, to buy a rigid huddle loom, what next? Right. And part of me is like, I don't know, go search on YouTube. Right. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's so many like videos or they may like, you know, I have to think to myself, it, they may like my format or my delivery of a message or my style of, of filming or, or I don't, like when I watch a YouTube video, you know, something is 15 minutes and I can look at it and be like, you could have consolidated that into like a minute and a half. There was no reason for that to be a 15 minute drawn out video. Mm-hmm. That's the nice thing with the the TikTok platform being 60 seconds or less is you have to really trim down. I mean, there's sometimes I think of people's attention span and I think, oh, that half second pause at the beginning, way too long. Got to trim that out. Because, you know, as people are scrolling through, you're like, if you if you pause for too long to even, like, get started with your thing, they're just going to scroll right past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to keep things as short as possible. But I also understand there have been sometimes the only way I've been able to, like, I showed, I don't know, a seven or nine part series of how I set up the rigid huddle loom. And that's one unfortunate thing when it comes to TikTok is it's not overly user friendly like you can go back to someone's profile page but you have to scroll through if i posted this six months ago you have to scroll through everything to even get to that part series and hopefully i've like labeled it which i'm getting better with thinking um of like how will someone even find one of the videos let alone be able to watch all nine parts of it Mm -hmm. to see the process so i i should get better um with doing longer formats uh, in one consecutive take instead of breaking it up um, so that I can convey the, the message, uh, but that it can, they can also find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that um, the attention to brevity may be mm-hmm. something that is actually really uh, helps you on a, a format like YouTube because so many people are like, you know, you see them, like, click the camera on, and they, like, walk yeah. over here, and they do this thing, and then they start talking after they're sat down. Uh-huh. Um, I think that that sort of, like, real focus on uh, just what needs to be there to convey the message uh-huh. would probably uh, also make your whatever other platform a success. To You know, it would certainly help that. I'm not trying to, like, force you to do that. I'm just uh-huh. saying... Um, yeah, I think that yeah. that kind of thinking goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's also the influence of my the my engineering background where I had to take a class called technical writing. And it was all about take out the fluff, get to the point. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're writing an instruction manual, for the most part, some people are getting a little bit more creative with their introductions to to um you know making someone excited that they bought a product Mm -hmm. but for the most part you just you know standard operating procedures in manufacturing you just get straight to the point take this put it here you know here's here's what to look for you know quality related notes but just kind of get down to to brass tacks Mm -hmm. when it's an uh, informational video um so something that's also unique with tiktok that i haven't seen anywhere else when it comes to I mean, I've seen this with cooking, um, but then weaving, I feel like it goes really well, is the whole ASMR trend. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like like the cutting the warp off, or, or I'll take my rotary cutter and I'll cut off the, the fringe 
of a scarf. And that's literally the video. It's just three seconds. Mm-hmm. And and people really appreciate that portion of things. So, like, as an engineer, I may not understand it, but I can appreciate it and adapt to, to the, these aesthetics that, um, you know, before I would be like, there's no functional point to this. Why would I post it? Right. But... But there could be, you know, there's there's the softer side of life that you kind of have to recognize and embrace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so I think that does it for my... <laughs> okay, so the last... So normally I ask the question, which is, what is the best piece of advice? But you brought it up yourself, which is awesome. So I'm going to have Eric ask his favorite question. Which she already answered as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. No. no, you didn't. Okay. Okay. Advice was what you answered. Um, so what is what was, like, your biggest mistake that you've made weaving or in the business or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I would say weaving, um, and it was something I was warned of. My instructor, she she has, you know, decades of experience, and um, but some lessons you just got to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, uh, I was really excited. I fell in love with this tensile yarn. It was 8-2, and she warned me, you know, just use this as weft. It's not a good warp yarn. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was planning on. And before you know it, I'm, like, measuring it out on the warp board. Mm-hmm. I'm like, see how it goes. And then before you know it, as I'm weaving, all the ends just start breaking, like, one by one. And they break faster than I can, like, tie them back on. Uh. Um so I haven't used tensil since then. And so how Sydney uses it for everything, I don't know. Because <laughs> it just it went to hell in a handbasket. And and it eventually worked. I actually still have, you know, the sample or like samples. And the edges just went like it was a beautiful I supplemented with bamboo and it feels so soft and, and I love it, but I'm very fortunate with sewing that I can just make these edges magically disappear. Um, so you can't see how horrible they ended up. I mean, I just, I kept going with it. Um, but it was, it was a little test in patience. And then also, even though it was very, a very soft yarn to work with, um, it was almost too soft because then it felt like the interaction of the warp and the weft just kept sliding on me. Yeah. And when I was trying to get these small, perfect triangles, before you know it, like one section was really compact and then another section was nice and even. And uh, so I had some lessons learned in terms of like a soft, slick fiber is great to some extent, but really trying to control and especially as you take the tension off and bring it around the fabric beam that can further, you know, contribute to the compression or, or the, um, elongation of, of the warp weft interactions. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like sometimes they're like, Oh, there's no mistakes. There's just decisions or lessons learned or, or whatnot. And at the end of the day, you still end up with fabric. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Unless it becomes an entangled mess. Yeah. Luckily, I haven't forgotten the cross yet. Um, mm. Or if I have, it's been like, because luckily this new uh, loom is a sectional warping beam. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I'm only doing about four inches at a time. So it's not, you know, ginormous. Um, so I can recover from it more or less. 
I've had some cross threads that I've just kind of had to live with throughout the project. Um, but it's it's all so far worked out. Yeah. So far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the breaking threads, I, I can personally attest to. The Weave Along project, which I have not posted, was because <laughs> the I was using vintage warp threads, mm. and they all started popping. Mm-hmm. Just one by one. So I said, you know what? These seven yards is going to turn into four yards. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. cut it off. I'm done. There I'm over it. So I did the pattern. I love the pattern. I'm just going to end up doing something else. Nice. But. Oh, excuse you. Sorry. A <laughs> dog just I mean, decided have... to wake up. <laughs> That's okay. My dog was barking in the background just a yeah. bit a minute ago. Um, I have heard, this is the interesting thing with the local guild, is, you know, you can come there and ask, you know, bring up your comments, questions, uh, concerns, and, and they'll kind of give your their experience. And I didn't realize, um, sometimes, let's say you, like, start out with your shuttle on the, the right, so you're always going over the left and on, under the right or whatnot. So they were talking about if you kind of reverse that, so you start from the left instead of starting from the right, the way that the, um, like on the edges, the way your weft yarn will either tighten or unravel your warp yarn, like slowly but surely. And if it keeps like unwinding it, then it'll become more brittle and be more susceptible. But if you just change the way that you're going over it instead of under it, then you can strengthen the edges instead of weaken them. Oh, I interesting. Tried it, interesting. I haven't tried that either. This was, I don't think there was any rhyme, there was no rhyme or reason for why these were breaking. It was just, all I had to do was look at it and they would snap. Well, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for letting me nerd out on uh, textiles. Especially with no like guild meetings, it's like me just kind of talking to whoever wants to listen about weaving. Also, I don't know if you saw, but the New York Handweavers Guild is offering an online uh, membership, which is okay. reduced, right? Yeah, it's I, only it's only twenty dollars. Okay, I didn't want to say that and be wrong, uh, so she yeah. said it. If it's wrong, um, the but you can attend their meetings. You can attend the New York uh, Weavers Guild meetings. They're doing it over Zoom, and they're having some really awesome uh, speakers come and yeah. do presentations nice. yeah yeah so that's i know it's not like your guild but it is it's a cool thing that's out there and happening now yeah more people that i can learn from i'm all about it yes. yeah yeah that was a lot of fun i found the insight into different social media platforms fascinating yeah, it was also cool to hear about how our engineering influences are weaving. A special thank you again to our patron this week, Susan. Your support of the podcast means the world to us. Another thank you goes out to Rawhead the Recluse for providing music for our podcast. Find him at rawheadtherecluse.bandcamp.com. Don't forget to send your questions to hello at proweaverpod.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe now. It will help us reach more weavers and people who are passionate about hand-created textiles.
You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Professional Weaver Society. And you can get full show notes at ProWeaverPod.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Professional Weaver Podcast. We look forward to sharing more episodes with you each Friday. Bye. Bye.